0: Hey there, and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. In today's episode, we are talking about a subject that is very near and dear to my heart. I invited my new friend and fellow therapist, Eli, onto the show. He is the host of the Dude Therapist Podcast. He is a licensed clinical social worker, and he's a dad. And in this episode, we talk all about fatherhood, bonding, and mental health from the perspective of the non birthing parent and partner. I am so excited to dive in today. You are going to get the chance to also hear both Eli and me sing. Now I've been told that I have a soothing, calming voice, but I don't think my singing voice is going to live up to any expectations that you have, if you have any expectations. But I do sing, and you'll have to stay tuned and see why. (laughs) All right, I'm so excited to jump into this conversation and share this with all of you. So let's get to it. While I hope that this podcast is supportive to you, it is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed health provider. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hello, Eli. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today and chat with me. I'm really excited to get a chance to dive in and and get your perspective on things. i I don't often have I don't have enough dads that come on the podcast, so I'm really excited to dive in today <laughs> with you.
1: thank Thank you so much for having me on. You know, I hear that very often, which you know, when I became a dad and now as as a therapist also, I like to talk about this so often because I think it's like a little a niche or niche however you say that word um, <laughs> <laughs> and um it's a really a, a beautiful space, and I think it's uh an important thing to talk about.
0: Yeah, it's, it's something I'm personally very passionate about. Uh, I did my whole dissertation on paternal uh, peripartum depression, and I, um, I just it's a subject that is very near and dear to my heart, both personally and professionally. And so I'm really excited to dive in today with you. But before we get there, can you share with us a little bit about who you are, your context, what you're passionate about, just so the listeners can get a chance to get to know you?
1: Sure. So I'm actually a licensed clinical social worker out in New York, uh, private practice and group practice. Um, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. My daughter is two years old. Um, I love her dearly and she keeps us on our toes. And uh, (laughs) I'm a real girl dad. Like, I'll do anything. Like, give me the tutu. I'll dance around. We're good. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I like to have fun. You know, I have a sense of humor. And, um, Really love being a therapist. I love working with people. Love meeting with people. I'm a sociable person, always been all my life. Um, And that's really just a little bit about myself. You know, I'm very complex. A lot of parts of who I am. Um, But yeah, Yeah. that's just a little a little tidbit.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. All right. Well, I'm I'm so excited to just to dive into this here. So let's let's start off by talking about. Well, first, I want to acknowledge that in throughout this podcast, I'm going to use language like non-birth partner, just because I think that while there are some things that, of course, are very specific to the um, male experience and someone who identifies as male, I think a lot of what we're going to talk about today could also just be related to somebody who is just the non-birth partner, the the partner who did not carry the child or give birth to the child, but is still navigating their own experiences. So I might use that language here and there. And I just want to kind of like set the, set the stage for that. Um, And obviously, um, you know, when you speak from your experience, that's going to be from your identity as a father's experience. And so I'm, I'm excited though, to kind of explore some of these different topics of bonding and mental health for the non-birth partner. So Diving in here, let's talk a little bit about the non-birth partner's peripartum wellness and bonding experience in that journey. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on some of the unique challenges um, and experiences for the non-birth partner during pregnancy and then, you know, postpartum and that fourth trimester And and also, I mean, I I love to talk about the challenges because oftentimes that's what we need to prepare for. But maybe we could also like tap in a little bit to some of the unique strengths, right? And what that person really brings to the table in terms of that whole parenting journey during that really, you know, early season of parenthood. But maybe we can start with some of those unique challenges that you think the non-birth partner can can kind of experience.
1: So I, I think it's an amazing question because. For me, as the non-birth parent, I was very much watching from the sidelines because my wife was really experiencing the whole pregnancy, you know, for herself. We also went through IVF. So Mm -hmm. that was a lot for us to be able to have this moment was very special. Um, And I was also not a part of that as well. So for me, being on the outs a little bit was not starting off on the greatest foot, but in the end, you know I was involved. I was there. I went to as many doctor's appointments as I could. Unfortunately, being a therapist, I have weird crazy hours, so sometimes it's not possible. Um, but in the end, the birth itself and was so so built up, so much pressure and excitement and emotions of hope that when my daughter was born, my wife and my daughter were just immediately connected, which made me so happy. Right. It made me so filled with joy that my wife had this experience. But in the end, because of the breastfeeding and because of that connection and the long hours and my wife is a warrior for going through that. I didn't have that connection. And I felt very alone. I felt it was the two of them and me. And, and I see that a lot with with guys, with men and, 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 and any um, non birthing parent. A lot of times they feel kind of on the outs. And I actually had my first panic attack in that first month or two of my daughter's life. Um, Just of Mm -hmm. stress and nerves of how to connect with my child because I've wanted to be a father since I was like 14 or 15 and Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity and didn't feel it. I didn't feel that instant aha moment of, I love this child to the end of the world and I would kill someone for this child, Um, which I haven't, but I would. (laughs) And, um, Then I had paternity leave and the paternity leave changed everything for me because it opened my eyes to the abilities that I could provide. I was useful. I was a part of the conversation. I was needed. I helped. I was the only resource of help because my wife went back to work. And I think something that happens actually in the first couple of months, um, not on purpose, but a lot of times the birth parents, takes control of the situation because they're around doing a lot more of the things, the smaller things, whether changing diapers, picking out clothes, the food, all those little things that are small, helpful things that you can do as a non-birthing partner. And then when you step in as the other partner, sometimes they go, no, no, it has to be done like this. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, it kind of pushes the person a little farther away to not want to ask to help to feel a little hurt or rejected, to be a part of the conversation, to be a part of that family. Um, and it can be very hard for the other person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that that's definitely something that my partner and I experienced ourselves. And, you know, there's, there's, there's a word for that in the literature, um, maternal gatekeeping, <laughs> they'll call it. Um, and it makes a lot of sense, just like you said, like if this person is spending so much time um, with the baby and, and maybe more time than the non-birth partner gets a chance to, you learn so much little details, little nuances, right? Like, um, and, and I, I say that, and I also want to say at the same time that like with my first um, I was still trying to figure it out too. It's not like there was a sh- just this natural instinct that I thought I was going to have just as the birth parent. Like I was still struggling. I was like, "Wait, am I, aren't I supposed to know what these cries mean?" And I was still figuring it out too. But you know, my my partner, you know, he he went into parenthood. I think already with some uncertainty, right? Of um, he had I I've, I'd spent a lot more time with babies than he had. And there was already a little bit of that uncertainty of his role. And am I going to know what to do? And do I even, am I going to break the baby, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, and then if I send a message of like, wait, no, like this, just trying to, even if I'm just trying to be helpful, um, but you know, you're sleep deprived. So it might not come out so like empathic or connected. <laughs> um, but, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know <laughs> if I share anything like that, like you said, it could be felt like, um, a criticism or, um, like you're not doing this right, but it could also touch on, I know for him, that little part of him that already is whispering to him, like, you don't know how to do this. Like you maybe didn't have I a really strong model for how to do this. I, right.
1: I love how you just said that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whisper.
1: I, I love that, really that because there's a little, uh, there's a little voice that's telling you, like, you're not a good father. You're not a good partner. And, um, you know, I saw something when I was becoming a new parent and it was about how to support my spouse. And when I started getting in my head about my skills as a father or parent, I tried turning my focus on my wife to be able to try to help her like, okay, if, if maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not there yet. Maybe I'm not connected yet, which is a hard thing to accept. It's a hard thing to swallow and to really digest that it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight for every single parent, even for moms, even for the birthing parent itself. It's not always so simple. Yeah. Um, so I tried to be as supportive of my my wife to help her with breastfeeding, giving her what she needed, maybe staying up so that she didn't feel um, alone in the middle of the night, which was very tiring. Maybe it is making her best favorite foods, giving her something or buying something for her to give her appreciation. So I kind of turned my energy as much as I possibly could on my wife. And then when paternity hit, my wife went back to work. It literally changed everything. I cannot stress enough for any spouse, partner who is listening to this. If your partner can take paternity leave, or maternity leave, whatever it's called for you, take it. Have them do it because it is like trial by fire to be able to connect to someone and to feel that you have the skills and the ability to give you the confidence to do it. That's Mm -hmm. when parenting happens because we don't know what we're doing half the time. (laughs) It's really trial. Like, oh, this thing. Oh, let me train the diaper. Oh, that doesn't work. Okay, maybe feed the... Okay, that doesn't work. Oh, maybe do... Oh, that doesn't work, right? And then, oh, then the baby calms down but it gives you the confidence that you can try. It gives you the confidence that you can find your way, that you can find your connection to this child, because that's really what it's about. Because you are a part of the conversation as well. You're a part of the equation to raise this human being, which is so scary, but such a privilege and blessing and and power that you have.
0: Hmm. So true. And I, I really appreciate how you keep sort of mentioning this, like, not being a part of the conversation, but you want to become a part of the conversation and why this resonates, I think so much and why I became so passionate about this subject and topic in particular is, you know, after our first was born, you know, we would go to doctor appointments and I was happy to see that I was being assessed for postpartum Mm -hmm. depression and anxiety. And, um, but my partner who would come with me to these appointments, um, he was never asked how he was doing. In fact, if anything, people would turn to him and say, "Like, hey, are you are you helping her out in the middle of the night? Like, are you stepping?" Yep. Up? It was
1: all about what we were doing and not how we were feeling.
0: Yeah, exactly. And
1: you know, and, and I, yeah. you know, a lot of a lot of people don't know this, but when you when you go for your first couple of visits for your child, you take like a PHQ nine, a depression scale, yeah, uh, for parents. And my wife made me fill it out. Because she was busy holding the baby, and I wasn't doing well. So when the doctor looked at the, the piece of paper, he, he said, Mom, are you okay? And uh, mm-hmm. she said, Yeah, I'm, I'm doing actually, I'm doing great. He filled it out. And the mm-hmm. doctor, that from then on actually, would check in on me when we came to visit.
0: That's great.
1: And I found that so meaningful to be seen as a parent, which is why I started posting about fatherhood. Uh, which is why I start talking about fatherhood because there are not a lot of fatherhood accounts which promote the struggle and and, and the the mental health side of it because there are so many beautiful accounts for moms. I mm-hmm. love it. I think it's amazing. I think the support's amazing. I I think everyone needs support in some way, and being a mom is 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 darn hard, but so is being a dad, um, and I think dads have a bad rep of being the lazy ones, right, or the ones who just sit back. That's very old school mentality about fatherhood. And I think the modern dad or the new dad is really more about stepping up and and showing up. And sometimes they don't know how to, they never had experience or have seen that in their life or they're not confident or worried about it. So to have someone look at you and say, are you okay? That was a really freeing experience Mm -hmm. to go. No, I'm not. And it was a great conversation. It was a really nice thing to be heard and to be seen.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, so much here, what you're touching on, I think is so important to name for the experience as a father. Um, And I think that, you know, the modern dad, like you mentioned, you know, there's, there's so much more opportunity and um, expectation sometimes um, to be present, right. as a parent. And I think that, like you said, though, it can also feel like pressure, right? Like, okay, well, uh, there's a part of me that really wants to be present, right? And and my partner wants that too. And I, that's going to be good for everybody involved, right? Um, research shows when you have a both parents that are really involved and present, how good that is, not just for the partner relationship and for each parent individually, but how great that is for the child and their own development. Mm-hmm. But Sometimes there wasn't a really strong role model, right? And there's still there might there's still the discourse of being a provider. So how do I both be a provider and a present parent? If I didn't have a strong model for what that looks like, and you know, anytime you turn on a television show or a movie, I mean, there's 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 starting to be a lot better models of that on uh, in the media, but you still get the you know bumbling dad you know persona. Um, And there just isn't, like you said, also not as many resources for dads and for the non-birth parent to kind of figure out how do I show up as a present parent while I'm still feeling the pressure, right, to do that, but also to be Mm a father. And I don't really quite know how to do that because it wasn't modeled. Yeah, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts, maybe just kind of normalizing that experience, but also what, and then what can, what can parents, what can dads do?
1: So I I actually come from a perspective where I wanted it. Like, and I knew how, like I, I changed diapers, you know, I did everything and I, I have the feelings and emotions and the love. Like I knew how to do it. I just wasn't confident or, and I was worried. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite TV shows right now, um, and I actually had the chance once to bump into Sterling K. Brown, um, from this is us. Oh my gosh, um,
0: this is us. I'm obsessed. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like just, that is what I think real fatherhood is oh. about. Yeah. Okay. He's silly and ridiculous and sometimes butts his head in places that shouldn't, because uh, that's what makes good TV. But yeah. that idea of showing up and being there for your children, that's the ideal for both parents. Of course, it doesn't happen a lot. It's not always possible. It's not always practical. Sometimes it's just not in the cards for a family and that's hard, but if I have the opportunity to be there, I'm going to be there. And, uh, so that means sitting on the floor and playing with my child, right. As best I can. So when my baby was really first born, you know, my wife took the late night shifts and, you know, she was feeding my child and and my daughter. And and it was, it was a beautiful bonding experience. My bonding was napping with her. She fell asleep on my, my, on my, on my chest all the time. I miss that so much. Mm -hmm. It was my time with her. So one of the things that I actually, a little tip that I give new dad, new dads or new, new moms who are talking to the, the, the the other partner or, um, the non-birthing partner is really this find something that's yours Mm -hmm. with the child. Mm -hmm. It could be the simplest thing. It could be a dance party one time a day. It could be that you're the one who changes their clothes and sings a song for them. It could be that you're the one that does bedtime at night. It could be that you're the one who is um, the fun one mm-hmm. who plays with them. Mm-hmm. Mine was napping and singing songs. I have a song for every stupid thing we do, literally everything. And my daughter now sings all the time, whether it's changing her diaper, whether it's you know, getting going to the bath, whether it's any little thing we do. And my wife loves it because it's cute and it's funny. My daughter sings ridiculous songs that I make up. But I took that on for myself to create that connection that was mine with my daughter. Mm. And I'm going to do that with as many children as I have, because that's special to me with them. I don't have the luxury and the biological ability to, to feed my, my children for my body and to mm. have that real connection that there's so much science behind. It's such a deeper connection than just food. There's hormones. There's neuro- neurological things going on that are like binding these two beautiful beings together. Mm-hmm. That I can't, I can't do it. It's just not possible. And honestly, I don't know if I want to, if I could, it's a really hard thing. <laughs> um, right. You know, pumping and all the things. It's just, it's so difficult. It's so time consuming. And I really admire parents that do that if they can. And if you can't, that's also great because you're doing whatever you can possible for you and your family. Mm. But I found something that worked for me that was mine and my daughter's. Mm. And that made me feel really a part of it. That made me feel really connected. That made me feel like I was a real parent.
0: Mm. I really, I love that. I love that. And it's so funny. I remember that first time around, you know, because, yeah, breastfeeding is really hard, so much harder than I thought it was going to be. I remember sometimes looking over at my husband and his useless nipples. I was like, come on. Like, like but, <laughs> but, you know, and I think that probably also speaks to the space that we were in, you know, like I was struggling with anxiety. He was struggling with depression and it was really difficult. Um, and oh gosh, like we eventually took a step to get support um, but there were it, it, it took him time and now we have we just recently had our third child and he he has said to me like I I'm so glad that you talked me into this third one because I had to talk him into it he's like because he just feels so much more present and equipped because he you know he went into this prepared. You know, we uh, we were not prepared for that first time around. Um I
1: think and- like, you know, I really don't think anyone really is. Yeah. Because it's a new world that you cannot describe to anyone who doesn't have a kid or even is pregnant.
0: Yeah.
1: It just it is not practical. You can just you can't explain the love, the greatness. Mm-hmm. You also cannot explain the torture and hard times of being tired. And hungry and forgetting to shower, like, you know, and it's like, oh, wow, I ha- oh, I can shower. What a luxury. Oh, yeah. I can actually have a quiet meal, shoving it down my throat because who knows when the baby will wake up. Like those little things really take away from the life that you thought you had. It doesn't mean that your life is worse. It's just different. So, so it's a really hard thing to explain by the, th- I've heard so many stories by the third child. It's like, ah, we're good. You know, you're changing the diaper while holding three other things. And, you know, like you're, yeah. you're a master, you know? So like, it's just so hard, the first child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was really interest hard for me to actually go through because I had a massive panic attack and my wife found me the next, in the morning, I was literally on the floor, like pulling my hair out. Not mm-hmm. literally. But, you know, so on edge and so just jittery and shaky, um, I never experienced that feeling before where my wife had to take care of me when I, as a therapist, was so locked in on her for her postpartum signs that I totally forgot about myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, those symptoms are just all of that bubbling over to the point where it's like your body is just like all right, you haven't been paying attention to the things that are going on in here. Like I'm mm-hmm. gonna over and make everything kind of stop in its tracks, right? With with all of the symptoms that come with those panic attacks. Yeah, you know, I think that I, I love that you mentioned just finding something that's your own. And for you, it was like, there's a song for everything. Um, my my husband and our, our daughter, our baby, he has this song that he sings whenever he's changing her diaper. And um, he goes, stinky poo, stinky poo, what in the world are they feeding you? <laughs> like as he's out her butt. And, you know, she's smiling and she's cooing at him. And there's so much, just like you said, just in that moment that's going back and forth between the two of them. These mirror neurons that are just bonding and connecting them in that moment as she's listening to his voice and she's smiling back at him and he's getting that feedback from her and he's smiling back at her and you know when you're when you're in that newborn stage and you're not getting that feedback right So hard get you it's so hard
1: but just i love the shout out to friends by the way love it a <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> yes. huge fan you, you, My my diaper changing song is let's change your diaper your diaper your diaper or let's change your diaper today and she goes hey hey and I, and then I always and I go who is my cutie who is my patootie and then she goes hey hey and then who has a yummy tummy hey hey and like I don't know why I just kept adding verses but <laughs> yeah. there's so much science I can't believe I just did that on, on, a, on a recording um, I love that oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is what's going to go viral right there that song um, copyright here you heard it here first but um, but in the end, you're a thousand percent right about the mirror neurons. There's so much research and um, studies shown, um, which I don't know the numbers. I'm sure you do and all the different research studies that are done because this is your expertise about how that moment, just those moments yeah. can create such a strong bond between a parent and a child. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be these big memories or these big moments for you and a child to connect. It's literally playing with their toesies and yes, I said toesies it's literally feeding them or being with them or drawing with crayons or making a silly face or sitting down with them on the floor and playing something or lying on the floor and just gooing at them and talking to them. Those little things really make those connections because of the mirror neurons and mm-hmm. the feedback between the two, the two people. And And we do that in our own lives in any relationship. Right? We need that mirror neuron and feedback from a partner, from a friend, from a parent, from our boss, our coworkers, our clients, anyone to learn and understand and connect. Mm-hmm. So if you can do that and create that moment with you and your child, that goes so much farther than we understand in a deep way with you and your child in the future.
0: Yeah. And that is absolutely something that the non-birth parent absolutely has within their power to do right, um, and, and, and there's so much. I love that we're talking about singing here, and I'm not a singer, so the fact that I sang that song is also like
1: <laughs> you did a great job. You did a great job. It was on key. It was perfect.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to sing another one because there is um, also research. Like you have a two year old, right? But this goes from mm-hmm. really early on up into toddlerhood. Um, and beyond until your child maybe is no longer interested in hearing you sing. Um, but but there's so much regulation that happens when we embrace our child in sort of this sing-song way. Um, and so my um, I, there was a song that I started with my son, so my middle child, um, and we I, I would sing this whenever he was crying or upset, um, and I would say, I love you, love you, all the parts about you perseverance, determination, very goal oriented. You would say, more, more. <laughs>
1: like, mm, I love is, that.
0: And, and you know, it was a reminder for me that um, all of these qualities that can be really, really hard sometimes to parent are also really beautiful parts of him (laughs) um and and it was hopefully through osmosis but then eventually he would really hear the words um hearing that this part of him that it has really big feelings and is sometimes you know hard for him and, and scary for him but also hard to parent are are also beautiful parts of him and and Having a sing song voice actually has been shown to have a regulating effect on the brain. So there's like so much happening in there. So I love that this. Is what well, we're-
1: you're, you're speaking my language because yeah. you, you, got, you you don't want to open Pandora's box right here because I literally have, we sing all around the house. I mean, and we love Disney and we sing Disney songs. We lo- I, I sing to her at night and it's just, I'm a musical person. So for me, singing is very calming. I love to hum. I hum all the time. I sing. I'm Mm -hmm. always listening to music. So I love that there's research behind the fact that what I'm doing as a parent is great. So go us. Woo. But in the end, it also just creates this fun environment for kids. It's why Elmo and Barney and and Sesame Street Mm -hmm. and all these things um, click with children um, because of the sing song environment that it creates because it pulls them in. My daughter knows every word to Sesame Street intro. (laughs) Maybe that's a bad thing because we watch it too much, but it's something that she, it it makes her happy. Mm. When we get ready for dinner, when we get her undressed, when we get her dressed, when we do all these little things, it creates pillars in her kind of mind that she knows that we're about to do something. It gets her prepped. It gets her ready. It's like this, uh, like a, like a trigger, for her to get into the mode of what we're about to do yeah. and it also is fun for us because yeah. then she gets to sing along and then we start laughing and then she laughs and then it's like this beautiful beautiful moment
0: yeah and these are things that we can be setting the stage from from the very beginning right as we're bonding this can be something that starts while your partner is pregnant and growing that child in their belly right um and gosh i mean there's you know, I think there's so many ways that the non-birth partner can begin to develop that relationship and those little things that are between the between you and that child from the very beginning. And also, I want to say, you know, for the non-birth partner, there were times, you know, during that fourth trimester, during those first couple of weeks, um, you know, when the baby was crying a lot and I would think the baby was cluster feeding, and I would just keep offering my breast, and I would just try to keep feeding the baby, but the baby really wasn't hungry. was just kind of overtired. We had missed, you know, and at that, for that first, I had no idea what sleepy cues were or like any of this, so I was just like, the baby's crying, and people look to you, and it's like, well, I guess the baby must be hungry, and but gosh, the baby was just getting more and more like gas in her belly, because she was crying, but latching, and then, and then I would finally hand her over to my husband. And he didn't smell like milk. So she was able to just kind of settle in and finally fall asleep. He would hold her like a little football with that, you know, with his, with his hand, the pressure of his hand. Football
1: holds. It's a good move.
0: Yeah, it's a good move. And then get that little gas out and just kind of rocking her up and down, like with her belly and chest on his hand. And she didn't smell like milk, so she wasn't rooting for the brats, you know? Yeah. And it was powerful. Like that became one of our power moves. And, you know, like for him, like this is something that you can do. Like it's not just always me that she needs. Sometimes literally what she needs is to not be held by me.
1: Yeah, I was the, I was the uh, rock to sleep guy. I was yeah. very good. I, I I thought that I had a superpower until my mother-in-law did it better than me. And then that was it. But, uh, no, but, um, uh, when my wife couldn't get her to sleep, I was the one who was able to kind of be the, the sub who would come in the pinch hitter or the, uh, the, um, to come in and get off the bench and kind of rock her and, 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 and get her down. Like I, I was just that, I had that ability. I was I think it's also, it's that connection that my wife was the food. Yeah, And I was the calm for that moment. And it was a very empowering experience for the non-birthing parent that I am to be able to play a role in yeah. raising my child.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, but also, you know, nighttime parenting um, for, with our first, um, because my partner was experiencing postpartum depression, we didn't know, it, we didn't have a name for it at the time, but that is what eventually he... um discovered that he was experiencing and we discovered um so it was hard because he was struggling and and he and sleep getting that restorative rest was really important um but it was really important for me too and so what we did with this with our third especially during this pandemic um with our second we had um my mother-in-law actually come over and some nights she would sleep over, um, and when the baby would wake up, she would bring the baby to me because I was breastfeeding, and then she would take the baby, um, and my husband would sleep in a different room so he could like get a full night's sleep, and then I'd hand the baby back to her, and I'd put earplugs in and an eye mask on so I could tune out my senses and just sleep while she did all the rest, like changing if the baby pooped and reswaddling and putting the baby back to sleep that was, gosh, like life-giving. But with this pandemic, we didn't have that. And so um, because we went in better prepared um, for this third one and um, we understood what some of the you know potential triggers could be for both of us, we went in so much more prepared. But what we had to do this time because we were both sleep deprived and we knew how key restorative rest was, was to figure out a plan with each other for how both of us were going to both show up as parents during the nighttime because it doesn't stop for. (laughs) I
1: love that. You just brought that up.
0: Yeah.
1: Like I'm I I love that you just brought up the idea of triggers
0: Hmm.
1: and having a conversation about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, because
1: I think it's it's so easy. It's so easy for couples to start fighting and biting at each other and nipping at each other's heels because of the tiredness and, and the different world that we're not used to. And to communicate like when X, Y, and Z happens, I cannot handle it right now. I need you. Like That's a very empowering thing for a couple individual to say to another person that they're with on this journey. Like, I need you when I cannot function or I cannot do this. Right. And the other person to embrace it. But to have that communication to say, hey, this is really hard. I really need you. I need you to show up for me. I need you to show up for our child. It's like, yes, like put on your super suit. Put on that cape. No matter who you are in the relationship and step up, that's a very beautiful thing. And also for you to be able to communicate to the other person that I'm struggling. That's a really empowering thing as well, because it's not going to be easy and not everything's going to be unicorns and daisies and not each partner might not handle it the same way. And some might be better with poop and vomit while the other might be better at sleep. Yep. So I think we need it's a really important thing to have those conversations to make a plan. Of course, with the first child, that's your learning, right? That's your learning ability. And after that, you know what your triggers are. And even with that child, the next ones could be totally different to kind of test you, um, which is a fun, a fun thing um, to be able to learn. And it's a, a really empowering thing that I think I really, really value that you said that.
0: Yeah, this is actually something that, um, well, because of that first that first experience that just really rocked us, became my muse for all of the work that I do, for the research that I did, for my specialization. Um, and then it really became my muse for developing the prepared postpartum course that I have with an OBGYN. And one of the things that we walk through in there is identifying both for the couple some of their own communication dynamics and things, places where they get stuck but also for each person to identify what some of your triggers are, right? Whether it's related to old stuff or current stuff, or being able to have these conversations ahead of time is so powerful, but you know, it's never too late to have those conversations. And also to get a sense of, for each of you, you know, what, what is the history there? You know, my, my partner did have a history of struggling with depression and I tend to run a little bit more on the anxious perfectionist side. And, you know, when you're sleep deprived and navigating this huge transition, have less time to repair with each other when, you know, things kind of, you know, get out of hand, like just all of that. Of course, of course, these things are going to you know, be potential risk factors for both of us to, to struggle with some of these things and knowing that ahead of time and making a plan ahead of time of how you're going to, um, get support, how you're going to get sleep, right? Like what the different roles are going to be. Having these conversations can be so protective for both individuals and, and for couples. I would love to talk to you a little bit more just about mental health for the non-birthing partner. Um, You know, the research indicates that around 10% of dads are at risk for um, postpartum depression. And I would say that that number is probably even lower because I think the stigma obviously is there. So there's a lot of dads and non-birth parents who are not being assessed or not being identified as struggling with depression or anxiety um, but you know for for my, my partner, it didn't look like what you would typically think depression would look like. He wasn't he wasn't crying he wasn't you know he wasn't expressing that he was feeling really hopeless. Um, for him it showed up more as like irritability. Um, And more like physical symptoms like stomach aches and headaches and muscle aches, and just kind of feeling really sluggish and just really heavy. Um, But he didn't necessarily have the language to say, I'm feeling really like ashamed or guilty or hopeless or I'm feeling really depressed. It showed up more. With that sort of irritability and like escapist behaviors like i'm just gonna go to work and stay at work for a long time you know um and or just watching television there was different things like that um which was really hard right for for both of us um because we just kind of were operating on these different little islands and it was it was really hard, but yeah, sometimes the symptoms don't look like what you might expect them to. They can, right? Like, um, absolutely, can the non-birth partner, dad, identify as male or not, be tearful and and have this look like what you might think depression looks like, but it can also have other symptoms too. And I'm curious, Eli, to hear from you just as the father. Um, And, and I'm, and as a therapist and in working with men, you know, what, what are some of the things that you've seen in the men and that you've worked with and the fathers that you've worked with when it comes to mental health itself?
1: Yeah. And I, and I love that you're opening up and talking about your, your partner and it not looking like the classic name of depression or anxiety. Right. Yeah. You know, I know, I know for me, Um, when I went through my bout of anxiety with, with being a parent, it didn't look normal in the sense of the symptoms until I had the panic attack. And then it was like classic, like restlessness, edginess, you know, I couldn't sit still. I was all over the place. My mind was racing. Um, and and it was a very shameful thing, um, for me to admit, I think because I'm a therapist that I needed help. Yeah. and my wife even said to me, "She's like, like, dude, like, you need to talk to someone." Yeah. You? And I was like, "Yeah, you're right." And um, I think the first thing that I always advise, and I, you know, I don't only work with men, I don't only work with fathers, but yeah. I do, I do talk about it a lot on social media, and, and I have worked with some dads and, and fathers and men. But uh, what I do is is for the partners to give space for the person to feel, mm. right, to have that safe ability. To know that you're not being judged or to be shamed for you being human, yeah. because there is this expectation of society for the men or the man of the house or whatever that looks like to be the strong one, um, which is not real. Yeah, right. There is no idea this idea of strength uh, me- equaling not being human is is unrealistic and ridiculous. Yeah. being vulnerable and being um, an emotional, feeling person is, is what it means to be a person, um, which is why I admire the works of like Justin Baldoni, who just wrote a book, Man Enough, mm-hmm. or the book that came out recently, Better Better Boys, Better Men, even Lewis Howes, you know, talking about in his book um, Masks of Masculinity, yeah, and even myself, mm-hmm. uh, even though I can't put I can't believe I just put my myself in that in that category, but um, it, it takes men to talk about it, to put it out there for men to see that they are not alone and that there are supports out there on so many levels, on Facebook, on Instagram, um, probably not on TikTok, but uh, (laughs) that's for a different thing. But I think in the end, the ability to feel safe, the ability to, to know that you have a place to be, to come home to, Um, There are classic, you know, retreating into your work and to other things of life, Mm -hmm. but to create a safe, I guess, cohort or community for yourself, whether it's a buddy, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a social media platform to be able to have that ability to talk about it. That to me is the biggest thing. Now, of course, as a Mm -hmm. therapist, I always suggest it doesn't hurt to get a consultation or one or two sessions to see if it's right for you. Yeah. Never think it's a bad idea for anyone. I think therapy can help anyone for a lot of issues. Um, it doesn't mean it might work. It doesn't mean that it will solve it. But I definitely think it's worth a try. So I think that's the first step is to talk to someone. The second thing is that that doesn't work for you. Find maybe someone else who maybe not might might not be a professional, but is a support to go there and to talk and to be and to feel and to feel normalized that this stuff happens to so many men and so many non-birthing parents that it, it, it's a, a normal way to go about this reaction to a crazy change in your life. Yeah. That's really my thought process about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, mine too. I mean, when you think about it, it just makes so much sense that it's hard. Right. Um, and that, and that bonding can be hard for both. I mean, I know that, and I have a whole other podcast episode where I talk about, um, bonding with baby from my own experience and how, you know, it's like, gosh, it's like any relationship, you know? I mean, yeah, I I think maybe for some folks, they have that like instant love and bonding connection, um, with another person or with their baby. But I think for most folks, it's like any relationship it takes time to get to know each other right and to feel that bond and connection grow and i think that for for both partners kind of you know full circle coming back to what we started with and what you were sharing is just finding finding little things right and and letting those little things grow into the bigger beautiful bond that that you that you will have with that child and and why I know that you will have it is because you're listening to this episode and you want it right like you want to have at the, at your core you want to be connected to your child and it might not feel like it's there yet and that might be, feel really hard but you want it and you're willing to put in the work, right. And put in the time that desire yeah. and that value is going to be your compass to lead you towards that bond and connection.
1: I think there's like some famous quote and I, I'm, I'm probably going to misquote it and I'm not going to say who it is because I'm totally getting get it wrong. <laughs> but I heard a quote once about parenting that the fact that you care so much yeah. means you're a good parent.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, we can just like say Maya Angelou, because why not? Because like she does everything. Um, <laughs> but it's probably, it's probably not. I, I have no idea. But um, like that idea of what, is what you just said is the fact that you're searching, you're listening to a podcast like this,
0: mm-hmm. or you're
1: finding a blog, or you're finding support from friends or support groups online. The fact that it bothers you that you might not be where you want to be as a parent. Mm-hmm. It's not instead of turning inward and going, you suck. You're terrible. How could you? What's wrong with you? you're, you're, you're a terrible parent. It's more that no, 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 I'm trying. And, Mm. and it means a lot to me because I'm a good parent.
0: Because if
1: you weren't a good parent, you wouldn't care Mm. at all. You'd be like, ah, okay, whatever. Let's see what happens with the kid. Mm. (laughs) But the fact that you want it and you're trying, that is probably about 80% of the battle of being a good parent is showing up and trying Mm. and not everything works. But the fact that you're looking and searching and 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 really getting out there to get what you need, that's really, really important.
0: And I always love to share the reminder that at the end of the day, the goal is never to be the perfect parent because it doesn't exist. Like literally the goal is good enough. And people say, Well, what's good enough? Isn't that just like not enough? Like, no, good enough. (laughs) So beautiful, because at the end of the day, what I, like, if I, if we were perfect? If I was a perfect parent, my kids would be so not equipped to navigate the world because the world is messy, and they're not. People aren't always going to be attuned to them, their partners, their friends, the the life, right? And so, the yeah. fact that I am imperfect and I don't always get it right gives them the opportunity to learn how to regulate themselves in moments when I can't fully be there for them, but also gives them, gives me a chance to model to them how to repair and to let them know that it's not expected for them to be perfect either. You know, we get to be messy humans. Uh, Eli, thank you so much for taking the time. This was such a great conversation. I'm so excited to share it with others and hopefully- Maybe um, maybe someone's listening to it who knows somebody who would really benefit from hearing um, the things that you shared today. And so I hope that they will share this episode with that person in their life. Um, Eli, thank you so much. Where can people find you and all the things that you have to offer the world?
1: For sure. So I'm on social media on Instagram. Um, I have two accounts. One is Ellie Weinstein underscore LCSW. That's my therapy account. You can always reach out to that. I also have a podcast called The Dude Therapist, where you're going to be on soon. Really excited, recording in a couple of weeks. And um, that's it's a place for all things mental health and wellness. It's not just for dudes. I'm just a dude who's a therapist, which is why it's called The Dude Therapist. And in the end, you can reach out and email me, message me on my social media. Um, and if I can help you, I would love to. And if I can't, I'd like to help you find something that can um, and it was really a pleasure being on the podcast today.
0: You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to hear when new episodes air. Looking for more support? I teamed up with a board-certified joy to bring you two e-courses for expecting and postpartum parents. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Thank you so much for inviting me into part of your day today. I'm so grateful and I hope you have a beautiful, wonderful rest of your day.